Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Yeah. Good afternoon. Sorry. Let's say good morning for a second. Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to be with you again. Welcome to services. We are 62 days from Passover. Hardly seems like that's possible. Excuse me while I just wander over here for a little bit. Hardly seems like it's we're only 62 days from Passover. I just want to make sure this is ready to go. While I do get this ready, I wanted to first start off by in talking to our youth, by telling them, reminding them how much we love them and care for them. You know, we, we mention it a lot. We, we uh, certainly talk about how proud we are of your maturity. We, we certainly see that in the growth of the youth studies, your growth when, during the youth studies. The time that you guys spend together each week, I'm just going to take this off, get a little comfortable while I speak to you guys. Time that you guys, the time that you guys spend together each week, how you guys are always looking after each other as, as one group, you're, you're ranging from your 20s down to 13, and how uh, I remember last week we found you guys on the street and you're all one great big group going doing things. We found out last week how you guys had planned this camp out together right down to dollars and cents, and uh, we were stunned that one of, you, one of you, we won't mention who, but said, I'll look after the Bible study on the Sabbath. When we heard that as parents, we were absolutely, absolutely blown away with pride. I would like to have a heart-to-heart with you guys today. Because I was in your shoes. We have, as Pastor Adrian mentioned, we have very few elders. We even have even fewer elders who grew up in the church and know what you're going through. I came to church when I was five, kept the feast every year, had to get feasts off, couldn't play sports that that, uh, um, conflicted with Sabbath, didn't go to any school dances because they were all on Friday nights except for my grade 8 graduation. I was at one dance. It was on a Tuesday or Wednesday because that's when our graduation was. So I never went to school dances. We had curfews. We uh, didn't get to do any sports. I was was blessed to have a, a... robust church sports program, otherwise I wouldn't have played any sports because all the sports conflicted with the Sabbath. All that to say, I've been in your shoes. I know what you go through. I know what it's like to take the feast off. I went, I did elementary school in the church. I did high school in the church. I did four years of university in the church. I know what it means to be a young person growing up in the faith. I know what it means to take your homework to the feast. I know what it means to give up job opportunities because they conflict with the Sabbath. All that to say, I know what you go through. It's certainly a different time, so I don't know everything you go through because certainly this this day and age, as we've talked about several times from the pulpit, several times in just general discussions, this day and age is, is even more different than when I was struggling as a young person growing up in God's church. 
And while I was coming to realize that this was the church that I wanted to belong to as a man, as, a, as an adult, as a man. Sometimes I didn't agree with all the decisions that my parents made. Sometimes they put a damper on things. I didn't get to go to school dances because they were on Friday nights. I didn't get to play sports because they conflicted with the Sabbath. All of the things, the decisions that we make irritated me too. I've been there. Wanting to go to a school dance and knowing that I never could unless they would change it from a Friday night. Knowing as we got older that we had curfews in place. And they all seem to conflict with my budding independence. I'm a teenager now. I'm 16. I'm 17. You need to trust me. I'm not a little kid anymore. I've been in your shoes. I understand the mindset. We, we all have, but I grew up in the church. And I'm, that doesn't make me better or worse than anybody. We, we're grateful that we have so many leaders, so many parents that came from so many different backgrounds that we can draw on so great a cloud of witnesses. But from a growing up in the church perspective, I can relate. That's, what, that's why I feel such a closeness to you guys. I want to start with this video. Thank you. 
See, I don't want, I don't want to live in time. I live in moments. I'm not worried about tomorrow. See, it's not what's in your pocket that matters. It's what's in your heart that truly matters. Love, love is just a word until somebody comes along and gives me you underneath. Mark Mello was a former professional wrestler coming from western New York who turned into a motivational speaker. You heard his story here. As parents, we've been teenagers before. We've been young people. We have walked in your shoes. We have felt the same feelings of striving for independence while maintaining peaceful parental relationships. You are great kids. You hear us say it all the time. But there are times when there is stress between you and your parents. Let's not kid ourselves. That's just a simple fact of life. God and on this earth, your parents. We assume God, we assume Jesus Christ. But on this earth, your parents are the only ones who will always believe in you unconditionally. This is one of the reasons God created family, to show us how to relate to him and how to understand unconditional love. It's also the reason for chastising, because we know and we have faith that you can be better, just like God does to and for us. Last week, in his great message on marriage, Pastor Adrian, you'll recall, said that he trusts his kids so much that he would go to the wall and die for them based on their word alone. The same goes for all of us. I, can, I don't even have to ask. So today, what I would like to talk about is growing up and valuing the relationship and the advice of your parents as you seek to become independent in this world. Let's start by looking at the parent-child relationship from God's point of view. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, where we find the Ten Commandments. Who knows, without looking, what the fifth commandment is? Anybody? Who can finish that sentence without looking? In the, uh, in the Lord, not quite. It's not the entire commandment. I'll give, you, I'll give you a hint. That, that your days may be long on the earth. Correct. It is, interestingly enough, the first commandment that transitions from our relationship with God to our relationship with man. We'll read it, just so... We see it here. Honor your father and mother, Exodus 20, verse 12. So honor your father and your mother, that your, na- your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So it's the first commandment with promise. It's the first commandment that specifically deals with your relationship with other human beings because our relationships start at home. So it makes sense that it's the first relationship commandment because we all have parents. We may not all have kids. We may not all have brothers and sisters, but by virtue of a beating heart, we all have parents. 
and it is incumbent upon us to honor them. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll see expectations from both parties in the relationship. So while the, the fifth commandment was a strictly a commandment focused on the child in the relationship, Paul here takes a look, expands upon it and talks about the expectations from both sides of the relationship. Children, obey your parents. Paul then adds, in the Lord, for this is right. Then he quotes the same commandment we just read, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long upon the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So this isn't all on you. The parent-child relationship is on both of us, on both the children and the parents. Obey your parents, but as they imitate Christ. Because God does not ever want to put you in a position where you break his law based on the actions of someone else. So we follow our parents, but we match up with what they do and what they say against Scripture. Incumbent upon parents to be that right example, to present God's way so that our children have an example to follow. And additionally, not to provoke them to wrath, which again builds on this loving relationship that we're talking about here. But as long as your parents are right with God, you are obliged to obey them, to listen attentively. The, the, the Greek word here, obey, to listen to attentively, to hear, to hearken. Does this requirement end at 18? Does this requirement end at 18? Let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. And look at a principle here. Exodus chapter 12. Verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. This is the concept of household. There is one law for a household. When we think of a household, we can imagine that the principle here, and used elsewhere in Scripture, is that while you are being supported by your parents, you follow their ways in the Lord. You imitate them as they imitate Christ. And as part of their household, you're, get, you're garnering support. You're, you're being given support by them. One law 
for all who dwell within the house. This is why Joshua could affirm. He couldn't speak for anybody else. You can note this down. We've read it before. Joshua 24. In fact, there it is right there in my tie. This is how, why Joshua could affirm that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Whoever was under his jurisdiction, whoever gained support from him, whoever was the benefit of support from Joshua, he could say on their behalf, we will serve the Lord. If they wanted to not serve the Lord, they were free to go start their own household. But while you're under the household of your parents, there is one law for all who dwell there. Let's go to Leviticus 19. Again, we're looking at the parent-child relationship from God's point of view. And as long as you have a parent who still breathes in this life, there will always be a parent-child relationship, no matter how old you are. Leviticus chapter 19. And the Lord spoke, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the, I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So God's first inkling here is to talk about being holy. So where does he start with? Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths, I am the Lord. Revere can also be translated as respect. Every one of you shall respect his mother and his father. Anybody see a difference here from the commandment? Anybody note a difference? How about the order in the personage? Respect your mother and your father. Why would God say obey your, your father and your mother, or honor them, honor your father and your mother, but respect your mother and your father? Most often, it is easier to respect dad. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's out of fear, the wrong kind of fear. But most times, it is much easier to respect dad. It's not always as easy to respect mom. So God here, on the flip side of obey your father and your mother, says respect your mother and your father. Respect mom and dad. Not just obey, but respect. Respect mom and dad. But to be holy, the first thing God says states here is to respect mom and dad. Exodus chapter 21. Let's go back to the law. And again, we're just looking at the start here at the parent-child relationship from God's point of view. And seeing what was in place back when God first gave the law. Exodus chapter 21. So you may recall a Bible study we did at the feast a couple of years ago where God built off of the law. He gave the Ten Commandments. And then before they committed to this covenant in Exodus 24, he sort of expanded upon the law and sort of gave the nuts and the bolts of what the law really was. That's where we sort of jump into it here in Exodus chapter 21. Verse 15 tells us, He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And verse 17, And he who curses, not strikes, he who curses his father or his mother 
shall surely be put to death. Striking or cursing your parents in those days was punishable by death. And guess who got to throw the first stone? Dad. Dad got to throw the first stone. So the family unit was so important to God that he talked about obedience, he talked about respect, and if anyone stepped outside of that boundary, whether to strike or to curse, it was death. And dad got to do it. Imagine that. Dad got to throw the first stone. The, family, the sanctity of the family unit was so important to God that an example had to be made to everyone else. And God knew in his mercy, his mercy that never fails, that his plan included a resurrection with an opportunity to learn the right way. So it's not about this life. It's about the next one. It's about this life that awaits us. But in this life, the sanctity of the family is so important, and we've heard that several times over the last year in different messages, that God had this put into place. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. One of the first stories we learn once we get through as a, as a child, you learn about creation, you learn about the flood, and then you learn about Abraham sacrificing his son. Genesis 22 and in verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac. We've just come through the studying of, of the child of promise, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Not I, we. We will come back. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now, we don't know how old he was, but historians indicate he was likely in his late teens, early 20s. That doesn't matter. He certainly wasn't a young boy. He was, he was old enough that he could... He certainly seemed, according to historians, that he was in his teens or early 20s. But that doesn't, uh, that doesn't matter. And they came to the place, verse 9, of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar and upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his son and took the knife to slay his son. Would you have gotten up on that altar? Would you have gotten up on that altar? Isaac got on the altar. There's no indica- he climbed up. There's no indication of any, of any argument. There's no indication that, that Dad, are you nuts? What, what are you doing here? You guys could outrace all of us. You wouldn't have even been around. You'd have taken off into those woods, I'm sure. 
there would have been no need to jump up on the altar. You could have outraced us and, and saved your own skin. Isaac got on the altar. There's no indication of any questioning. He got on the altar. He was certainly young enough that he could have been either fast enough or stronger than his dad. His dad would, was in his night. We know when he was born when he was 90. So he was in his 110s, while Isaac was likely in his teens or 20s. There's no need to get on the altar. There's no need to do that. But he got on the altar. How many of us argue over a lot less? Let's now talk about how special you are in God's eyes and why we feel such a love for you. Not just my kids, not just each of our kids, but here's a community, why we feel this way about you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We always pull out verse 14, but let's sort of read this in context. We've studied Corinthians here before. We know it, among other things, has to do with the dynamic of, of, the, of the congregation. Verse 12. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Again, the sanctity of the family unit, from God's perspective, is made abundantly clear here. So even if there is a relationship where, he, where there is only one believer in the home, as long as there is peace in the family, and to preserve the unity of the family unit, God extends a blessing of sanctification to the mate and to the children, to those who are under this same household that we talked about in the Old Testament. As long as there's one believer and there's peace in the household, God extends this blessing of sanctification while you are under their purview. Matthew 13. Matthew 13. So you're so special to God that long before you ever make a commitment to this, you are extended the blessing of being set apart by God. what God makes holy, let no man put asunder. So no man can make you unholy in the eyes of God while you are under in this sanctification of your household. Matthew 13. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. So Christ here is speaking to a large crowd not just the 12 disciples, a large crowd. Dropping down to verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. 
and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, they have eyes that and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal him. But blessed are your eyes, for they shall see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Mark 4, the same account, says that along with the disciples, there were others with them. So in this, this part of the conversation, it just wasn't the 12 disciples, but there were, there were others that were part of it. You can see that in Mark 4. The 12 disciples were not baptized yet. They were in the process of finding things out. Christ had called them. The, multi, the, the 120, perhaps, were here. It doesn't specifically say, but we do know there were others. The 12 disciples were not baptized yet. They were not committed to God yet. But they were privileged to have been set apart, set apart by Christ as his inner circle. Something was clicking for them. How do we know? Because they saw it was a parable, and the others didn't. So without God's Holy Spirit, but set apart by Christ for a special, a special place to, to, to start to learn, they said, why do you speak to them in parables? They didn't even, the others didn't even get that it was parables. But they got it because God was working with their minds. There is some responsibility placed on those who are being called. Here, he says, to you, you've been given the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But they hadn't even committed to this yet. But they were, they were being given the mysteries of the kingdom. And things were starting to make sense to them. They were starting to ask questions. They were being given insight into eternity. So are you. So are you. And if I can speak for the parents, we've talked about it. We can see over the last two and a half years your progress in the youth study. The stuff that you come up with, the stuff that is natural now, you're being given insight into the mysteries of the kingdom. But like the 12 disciples here, they hadn't made the decision yet. But there is some responsibility placed on those who are being called. And how special is that? Christ here says. There have been many search for this. Many want to have wanted to see this. And they haven't seen it. They haven't gotten it. But you, you're privileged to be giving this opportunity. I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see. Many have strived and struggled to get this and have never gotten it. And you have an opportunity to see it. You are seeing it. You're getting it. That's how special this, this is for you. And this access has been granted through your parents. We just read that. This, this sanctity, this, this specialness has been granted to you by, your, by God's relationship with your parents. Remember Mark talking about slamming the door on his mom who just wanted to talk? God waits up and is always looking for a chance to talk with us. 
give him some time in your daily lives. Just give him some time. Let's go to Proverbs 22. We continue to look at this special relationship we see here between the parent-child relationship. And again, understanding that it, it pictures our personal relationships with God. Proverbs 22. Verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents have, we have a responsibility as parents to take ownership in the raising of our children. We know that. This is why we are so involved in your lives. This is why we can be the pains that we can be, because we have a responsibility to take ownership in, in, in your maturity. We are tasked to make sure that when you are ready to take on life on your own, to have your own household, to have responsibility for yourself, that you are prepared with all of the tools to live a happy, peaceful, abundant life. We can't call you. John 6, 44. We can turn there just so you're not believing me. John 6, 44. And it's repeated in verse 65. That no one can come to me, to Christ, unless the Father who sent Christ draws that person. So raising up a child doesn't mean they're going to be called of God. That's God's responsibility. Our responsibility is to raise you, to have all of the tools, to make that decision if it comes your way, and if for God's own reasons it doesn't come your way in this, in, in this life or in this in this era, you still are peaceful, happy, self-sufficient people. That's our responsibility. We pray that God will call you. We raise you so that you are ready to accept that calling, but we cannot offer that calling. But our job is to train and prepare, and that takes spending time and sometimes correcting behaviors and choices. We have covered the timeline, as, as we know, for the last two or three years, and we will continue to do so, so that we continue to understand the narrative of the Bible, that we continue to see that it is one grand story from beginning to end. But if there's one book that can be your go-to book when you need advice, when you need to see about life, it could be the book of Proverbs could be the book of Proverbs. In fact, much of it, after chapter 7, I think, is in the learning style of today. Small bullet point, whether it's single bullet points or double line bullet points, it's actually made for today's society of learning. Real quick, in and out little tidbits that you can read three verses of Proverbs, you can read one verse, you can read an entire chapter, and you are better for it, regardless of how little you read of Proverbs. It is, it is, Solomon was ahead of his time in writing these bullet-pointed tidbits of advice. Let's go and read some in this third section of the message. Proverbs chapter 1. And we'll see exactly what we're talking about here. That this book was written 
from the, the perspective of a parent. Proverbs chapter 1. And we'll see it's the same advice you hear from your parents. It's the same advice we hear from the pulpit. It's the same advice we hear from in studies. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, verse 1, chapter 1, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the, in, to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this starts out with talking about that this is just about providing you with the tools in life, like wisdom, instruction, justice, equity, prudence, qualities that we all need to develop. But from a, a, parent, a parent to a child relationship here. My son, verse 8, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Why? Is it because it's just the rules of mom and dad and, and I can't wait till I'm 18 and I can get out from under this? For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. If you are raised properly, the instruction you receive will make you a beautiful person. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, and we can substitute my child. If you receive my words, and if you treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom, so you're always listening how to become wise. Why, knowledge isn't wisdom. We know there's a difference. And apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift your voice up for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, we heard Mark talk about searching for riches. These are riches. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, discernment. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Chapter 3. My son, do not forget my law. But let your heart keep my commands. So this object of God's commandments being in our hearts has been a concept all the way back into the Old Testament. My son, let your heart keep my commands. Make it a part of who you are. Not a list of do's and don'ts that I must check off and abide by. Make it a part of your character. For the length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. So it's not just adding a long life. It is a peaceful long life. There's a difference between living a long time and living a peaceful life for a long time. God will add a peaceful long existence to your lives. Let not mercy and truth forsake you, but bind them around your neck. Bind them so that you cannot, you cannot uh, get rid of them. You cannot forsake them. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So not just his commands but mercy and truth. Make them a part of who you are. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. In all your ways. 
everything you do, acknowledge God, and he will direct your paths. That's a promise. You acknowledge and follow God, he will direct your paths. Chapter 4. We're not going through all of them, I promise. Verse 1. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her, and she will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you, Hear my son and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instructions. Do not let go, for she is your life. We notice this last part that Solomon is talking in the past tense. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the right paths. So when you walk, when you're on your own, when you have an opportunity to direct your own steps, follow these instructions you've been hearing for years. Wisdom, mercy, understanding, discernment, justice, equity, all of these good things. That's why you keep hearing it while you're under your parents' tutelage. Because there will come a time when you're on your own, and now you answer for yourself. And God here says, Solomon here says, I have taught you this. I have led you in the right paths. When you walk, if you follow these exact same footsteps, you won't be hindered. Your days will be long. You will live a peaceful, happy life. Chapter 7. Verse 1. My son, my child, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And keep my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call, your, call understanding your nearest kin. That they may keep you from the immoral woman. From the seductress who flatters with her words. So God's ways keep you safe. God's ways keep you pure. God's ways are best. The effort of those inspired by God, that went into the preservation of this book is incredible. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 4. 1 Kings chapter 4. Verse 29. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart. Remember, we combine these, this heart concept with wisdom and understanding and law-keeping. He gave him wisdom, great understanding, and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. 
Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, Calhal, Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Also he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. And men of all nations, from all the kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs. I didn't take the time. I didn't even Google it. I'm sure someone has gone through in the Proverbs and counted up how many actual Proverbs there are. If you know, we can talk about it in sermon discussion after. I don't expect all 3,000 are in there. I suspect not. But 3,000 Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs 25 and see one other tidbit of information here that talks about how important these were to preserve in Scripture. You likely know through the study of biblical history or biblical archaeology the miracle it was for this canon to have been created for all these different writers all over the course of thousands of years. Proverbs is no less a miracle. So we see these 3,000 sayings of Solomon. Proverbs 25 and verse 1. These also are the Proverbs of Solomon which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. We read over that, and then we get into reading chapter 25. King Hezekiah was the 12th king after Solomon in the history of the kings of Judah. And if you add up, which God provides us in the book of Kings, Hezekiah became king 255 years after the death of Solomon. So 255 years later, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah commissioned men to gather up some more of these sayings and preserve them. That's how important this was. 255 years ago was in the 1760s. I got that right, Daniel. Off the top of my head. <laughs> 255 years. Imagine whoever was king, or, or no, there wouldn't have been president or prime minister then, whoever was leading in the 1760s, today gathering up all of his his wisdom today and preserving that. This book is worth the read and should be part of your studies, part of your bedside reading. It was well worth God's time over 255 years to preserve it. And it's how he just wants to talk with us. We heard Mark talk about how his mom just wanted to talk with us. This is an incredibly robust book. Get started in the book of Proverbs. Hit as many bullet points as you as you can get through. Even one is a bullet point and a nugget of wisdom that will change your life. In his talk, we heard many pieces of advice from Mark Mello. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. Show me your friends, he said, and I will show you your future. He talked about hanging out with drug addicts, those that brought his life down, those that cut him off from his family, those who drove him home at night and said, Mark, your mom's up. You want to avoid your mom. 
That was a friend that he considered a friend that was trying to come in between his relationship with his mom. Show me your future, show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Proverbs 12, verse 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. One bullet point that can change your life. Let's go back to chapter 1. We read up to chapter, to verse 9. Let's pick it up where we left off, Proverbs chapter 1. And see that from the the very first chapter of Proverbs, it was instruction for protection of his children. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lots among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their, e- their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. We brought that out too. It takes away the life of its owners. My, my kids aren't old enough for this to apply yet, but they've heard me say this before. Unless you're working, there is nothing good going on outside after midnight. There's, there, there's nothing that can't be bound after midnight or 1 o'clock or whatever time you come up with after midnight. We appreciate how much you guys hang together. It's, it's when we were having coffee at, uh, in Burlington here last Saturday night and saw the whole group of kids come up. It was, it was, we talked about it for 10 or 15 minutes afterwards. It brought such joy to us. But watch who you hang with. Watch who your friends are. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's not about winning the race, he said. It's about finishing the race. It's not about winning the race. It's about finishing the race. Pick it up in verse 6 of 2 Timothy 4. Paul, the end of his life, writing to his close, close friend and son in the faith, Timothy. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So what is this race? This race is keeping the faith to the end of your life. And what is the prize? It's a crown. But guess what? There's crowns to go around for everybody. Anyone who keeps the faith gets a crown. There's not one crown to strive for, and we're the first ones there, and we step on whoever we need to step on to get there. There's there's crowns for everybody. It's like the greatest participant ribbon ribbon presentation of all time. If you finish, you get a prize. Acts chapter 20. 
It's not about winning the race. It's about finishing the race. Verse 22, we'll pick it up in the middle of the context here. Verse 22, Acts chapter 20. And, and see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. Whatever I'm going to face, they, don't, they mean nothing. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We're in this race, and it is a race of joy. And our job is to finish. Someday, he said, you may need help finishing the race. Someday you may need help finishing the race. We all find ourselves in times in our life where we need a helping hand. We need some encouragement. We need a hand up. We need a shoulder to cry on. We need a hug. We need some help. Whatever it is, you may need help finishing this race. Back up to verse 17. Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he proceeds into saying his race is finished. What was his race? It was going and helping others, helping others find out about this. Paul's life was about taking this that meant so much to him and sharing it with everybody because he knew everybody could benefit from this news, from this good news, this gospel. Someday, you may need help finishing this race. Stop, hurt, stop the hurting of other people, he said, and focus on how many we can help finish this race. Stop the hurting of other people and focus on how many we can help finish this race. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this in mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So Paul presses on towards his goal, but he does it in the mind frame of us. That we have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk, as you have for us a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. The same type of folks that Mark was like in his earlier life. 
grasping for himself at the expense, he said, of his family, at the expense of his parents, at the expense of his kids, and whose glory is in their own shame, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship in this race is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my crown and my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Paul was in a personal race to finish, but it was alongside so many others at the same time. Mark Merrill realized his goals of fame and fortune above love and family were wrong. But he realized it only after his mother died. She was the only one in his life that believed in him. Of all the people he sought to serve, of all the, promote, the wrestling promoters, the fans, the, the women that he sought to serve, when his mom died, he realized she was the only one in the world that really, really believed in him. The others were looking for fame and fortune and whatever they could find off of his coattails. Each of you here are blessed with parents who believe in you. Parents who have said, I trust my kids so much, I would go to the wall and die for them based on their word alone. How can you repay that and preserve this relationship as you become independent? Love, respect, and listen to your parents. Make time for them. Respect your mom and dad. Follow them while you're under their care as they follow Christ. Spend time with them and value their advice. Advice that comes with years of service in this life. When you have problems, seek both God's and their advice. And when that is done together, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Value the time that you have with them in this life because this life is fleeting, it is fragile, it is precious, and it is finite. I had the meanest father in the world. I was buying my nephew a birthday card two weeks ago and found this. I had the meanest father in the world. From my earliest memories, he acted like he knew more than I did. At dinner, that always made me eat all of my food, and that included everything green. Mom was not allowed to lift a finger after dinner. I had to do all the dishes, all the pots and pans, and even clean up in the kitchen. My father insisted on knowing where I was at all times. I had to introduce my father to all of my friends, and before they could leave, he had to know the names of their parents, their phone numbers, and what we would be doing that day. He was also a slave driver. He made me work around the house, taking out the trash, yard work, and even washing the car. Homework had to be done before I could watch TV. I remember Dad yelling at me at night like, to get off the phone. I was not allowed to accept any phone calls after dinner. He would embarrass me by answering late phone calls and telling my friends never to call again, never to call again so late, and I was horrified. I was a social outcast at school. I wasn't allowed to date until I was 15 and never during the week. None of my friends, none of my friends had a curfew. 
but Dad made me come home by 11 p.m. He always waited for me there, so there was no way I could kiss my date goodnight. The lights were always on outside and inside the house, and I could see my father lurking inside, waiting for me. I am trying to teach my own children to be respectful and responsible. Whenever I hear my kids call me mean, I think back on my own wonderful childhood, and I thank God for giving me the meanest father in the world. The world needs more mean fathers like mine. Remaining respectful of your parents does not compromise your independence. It does not compromise your independence. It enhances your interdependence. Can't do too many things at once here, obviously. God's way of life God's way of life is about interdependence, not independence. My grandmother had a plaque on her wall that I remember growing up that I didn't get until my 30s and likely my 40s, and I'm still coming to understand. And it said, the older I get, the more I recall how little I knew when I knew it all. I can only imagine the peace that envelops a parent's heart when a grown child finally realizes the blood, sweat, and tears that go into raising a child. The love that is worth every moment of that blood, sweat, and tears. The cherry on the cake is when we know you finally get it. Because when you do finally get it, don't forget to tell your mom and dad that you get it. And your relationship will hit a level that you will have never experienced before. Which brings me to the end of the video. I finally get it, Mom. I miss you. Love, Mark. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.